Welcome to the Wonder Woman Club podcast. We bring you conversations that will inspire, empower, and educate you to thrive both in business and in life. My name is Vash Naidu, and I'm your host, an intuitive fempreneur coach and the founder of the Wonder Woman Club, a global community of phenomenal women doing phenomenal things in the world. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to the Wonder Woman podcast. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Inver Wauman, um, as she's known on Clubhouse, uh, but her title is actually Inver Lumi. And Inver is actually the uh, founder of Women Inc. Women Inc. or Wowman Inc., which as she says, she finds the wow in every woman. And today I'd like to thank you for joining us. You have such a special story that we're gonna get into and share with our listeners. So Inver, tell us a little bit more about your background. Hello, hello, hi Vash and hi everybody. I'm just honored to be here as a woman and thank you for using this platform to really amplify our voices, so important. As you mentioned, I am the founder of Wowman and this is a leadership consulting firm. I am uh, doing my doctorate in leadership, so uh, helping women elevate them to that position, um, it's very important to me. And, and, and I know you shared this with me before, but what is the position you want to elevate them to? Yes, I want women to be in all the boardrooms, no matter where we are, we need to be in the boardrooms to make our own damn decisions. <laughs> Absolutely, I love that. So it's all about boardroom diversity. Um, so before we get into your research and what you've come across, I just want to touch on your story because we've all started somewhere. So, you know, you've told me certain things about the things you've survived, and I, I want to give you that space to tell us your journey and, um, and what you've come through, because sometimes we don't realize how much we've come through. Um, so please tell our listeners more. Yes. So I grew up in Albania, and then I got the chance to study in the U.S., which is where I am right now in Los Angeles. So I continued to study, and I had businesses in the meantime. It was very important for me to uh, educate myself, because... I had that opportunity, not as many people have that. So I continued to do that. And in the meantime, I had a businesses as well. And while I was going to school and having my business, I saw that there was not that many of me there. And I was treated very differently. You think in the US, there is more diversity and there is you know, more platform for us to be welcomed. However, I was treated very differently. I would, um, my business did uh, business in different countries and all over the US. So every time I was in the boardroom, I, they thought I was the secretary. They thought I was a coffee taker or, or something like that. And I was interrupted constantly. So that truly uh, made me raise awareness. I said, why am I treated this way? Yeah. And in those so from my background, I, I work with boards of directors in financial institutions as well. I actually train on corporate governance. Um, my background is in financial compliance. I'm a consultant for financial institutions and I work with um, fintech firms as well. So with that being said, and I, I, when I go into a boardroom, the difficult task is when I'm training boards of directors, it's also quite challenging because you know, I'm an ethnic minority um, in the UK, classed as an ethnic minority, but I'm also female. And um, and yeah, the, the people around the boardroom table are not always female and they're not always a diverse board as well. Um, so how did you deal with being spoken down or not allowed to speak in boardrooms? 
Yes, well, it depended. So I did every time, for example, when I had uh, meetings in corporate with um, Indian people, so I, I studied the culture. I studied the culture, I saw how they, and I learned a little bit the language, right? So I broke that barrier by learning the language. So I started learning a lot of uh, techniques and how to do business in those countries, right? In India, you negotiate a lot. So I was passionate like them, like negotiating, negotiating, negotiating to the point that we both, both of our parties were happy. And then with China, it was a little bit different. You exchange some things. And in Japan, in, uh, with Japanese boardroom, it was completely different. You don't talk business at all. So I did, and um, I did learn a lot about the culture. And uh, around the U.S., it depends where I was. If I was in Texas or if I was in Nevada or in Florida, I still, even within the U.S., I learned the culture. It's a different culture. And a lot of times we used to have um, dinners. So we kind of break the barrier there a little bit. But again, um, it was very hard. It took years and years and years. And even today, um, I would say the last two years, when we, prior to closing everything, um, nine were men and I was the only woman sitting in the table at the dinner table we're talking about. And what happened is that I would get interrupted a lot. And then I would look at them and I say, in their language, I say, thank you for listening. May I continue? So I had to learn this, right? I had to learn in Japanese, in Korean, in Chinese, and in Indian, they speak English, which was great, right? <laughs> but um, I had to learn that. I, I had to learn to raise my voice to their level, to not be interrupted and to be heard. Yeah. And did you notice a difference in, um, in how they would treat you moving forward? Because once you've done that, what changed? For me personally, I feel that something changes. It changed me. It truly didn't change them. Uh, there was respect. Yes, there was a lot of respect there, but it changed me a lot. It changed me that, hey, I can be a woman, but I can also be a strong character. It doesn't mean yeah. that I have to put myself in a different way. I don't have to be arrogant at all. I don't want to lead with that. I want to lead with who I am. Yeah. I just amplified a little bit of my characteristics. And as I mentioned, I did research them a lot um, in order for me to really understand um, not give them fold, absolutely not, but really understand them and also show them, hey, I am a woman, I have a business, you're dealing with me, you're not dealing with anybody else. So if you want to deal with me, if you want a platform in the US, you have to go through me, there is no other way. Yeah, yeah. and I think it, it kind of gets mis, mis, there's a misconception, I guess, in the sense when, um, when a woman is being strong, or when she's speaking up. And for me, there's a difference in that we can also assert ourselves. Because I think at times we don't realize that we can be assertive, we can be confident, and we don't have to raise our voice, we don't have to shout across the table or anything like that. But it's being able to have the confidence in asserting ourselves in spaces and being able to, like you did, you know, say in a language that they would understand, thank you for listening. Because sometimes I think you're indirectly calling it out, but you're also pleasant about it. So it's hard to take offense at the same time because you're educating someone at the same time. And I think. One of the biggest pieces of everything that we go through in every evolution is the education piece, right? So yeah. for the people that are listening, for the men that are listening, for the women that are listening, what would you educate men firstly in the boardroom and how to receive women, how to make space and how to allow them in those spaces? Yes. Wow. That's so important. <laughs> it's uh, to me, from my, I would go from my experience, right? I would say, hey, um, listen to us, don't interrupt us. You know, there's a culture of interrupting women. Can you please not interrupt us? We have something to say. 
And if we are there, it's because we deserved it. You know, nobody gave it to us. And treat us as equals and be our allies. We've been your allies all this time. We've raised you and elevated you to these positions, right? I mean, you look back, who who created you? You came from a woman, right? <laughs> who yeah. raised you and, and, and so forth? And um, and who educated you? Our first word is mom. I mean, just yeah. just just that just that word is it just respect us yeah. we deserve respect I and mean, we, we respect you we don't come with a notion or or the idea that you are such and such no when we sit there in the boardroom with you we create that idea and if you are not aware of who we are research us just like we do research for you and yeah. truly be an ally for us in the past centuries men have led yeah. give us one century let's see what we can do <laughs> i like that um and on the flip side of that, what would your advice be to women? How to approach this now? Like, obviously, you've done what you've done, but what are the the the, the go to tips and tricks that you should definitely do, and definitely what you shouldn't do as well? Because sometimes I think we can get it wrong. Like, you know, if there's no like, there's no denying we're human as well. We can get it wrong as well. So, what's your um, what's your tips and tricks? Yes, um, there is no competition. Just I want to let women know that we are not competition with each other. Yes. And when you see somebody in the boardroom, hey, give them a hand. Yeah. Help them. Because men do help themselves. Men help men. Why not women yeah. help women? And a lot of times from the research that I've done as well is that whenever there is an application for a woman to be in the boardroom, women themselves don't choose women. Yeah. Give yeah. them a chance. Just because a woman has to prove herself a little bit more, give them that chance. It's very important. We have to become allies. And that's how we can elevate and, and diversify the boardroom. And that's how we can make better decisions for the future because it affects us. It affects our health. It, it affects our mentality. I mean, there's research done on this that if, you know, what, because women put a lot of work, not only at the office, but outside the office, right? And men don't do the same. So it affects us. So let's do that. Let's elevate us to that position to, for us to make our own decisions. And in the end, it truly will benefit us. Absolutely. I totally agree. Like, um, I think I have my own perception of this, but I don't want to put my perception out there. I want to ask you from the research you've been conducting, what do you think is the main reason why women don't choose women in the corporate workspace? Oh, there's, <laughs> there's so many reasons on that. Uh, I would say when you are in the corporate woman, in the, in the corporate world as a woman, when you see another woman, you um, question it. Like, how did she get there? Because you come from your own experience. So let's just put that on the side, right? Let's just not have that standard. Put that on the science and say and ask them, hey, how did you get here? And how can I help you achieve what your dream is or what your goal is? So we need to leave that out So as women, right? And then the other thing is that there needs to be a lot of training because women are not trained. In the corporate world, women are not trained. They see men, so they try to be like men. No, we are women, we are feminine. Let's be women and let's stand strong. And the other thing I would say is that change the vernacular. It has to do a lot with the language that we use. For example, on the research that I have done, I found that when somebody is applying for a boardroom or VP and, and, and so forth, right, to be in that boardroom position, the words that are used are different. They all describe a man. We need to change that. So therefore, they say you have five men and one woman sitting in that boardroom interviewing somebody, let's say that's a woman. If a woman is seeing those words and they all describe a man, a go-getter, strong character, those are all describe a man. If you Google those words, you see a man picture. You don't see a woman picture. So let's change the vernacular. Let's just put what the job description is, but not a characteristic of a man. That's why as women, we don't see that. If we don't see it here, we cannot see it out there and we cannot see it in a woman as well. Yeah, that's so, that's so 
important, um, it's such an important um, aspect that you hit on. And I think, I think sometimes we have an unconscious bias as well that we don't recognize. And we need to think about that a bit more. We need to be a bit more conscious about it because I've also noticed in the corporate workspace, you're also seen as a threat if you're a woman, like there's only space for one woman at one level. Um, you know, and that's also another area that we need to get rid of because there is enough space. We just need to keep on creating more space. That's the problem is that we think that there's not enough space for, for every woman in the corporate space. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that wealth of information. Um, another question I'd like to ask you is, what do you think is the reason why women themselves don't speak up to go into those places, into senior management, into the boardroom? Um, and, and go for those promotions? What do you think stops them? I can only speak from experience and research. As of now, in the future, I hope I can give a, a more elaborate uh, response as well. It, it is how we see ourselves. So if you don't see yourself at that position, you will not go after it. So as you, edu as you educate yourself, you can take courses, you can, take, you can go to school, or as you go to training at the position that you're in, is that who is mentoring you, right? Who is telling you what you can and cannot do? So if somebody is telling you this is as far as you can go, then and that's what you believe. So it depends on the character as well. And that is what I want to do. I want to bring training to the corporate and, and all around to show that, hey, if you're leadership material, we can get you there with the right training, with the right mentality. So as women, it's not just about going there and going after it, but you have to elevate to that level as well men mentally, because you have to be mentally strong to be a leader, right? And also as women, from what the recent research that I have done is that since COVID hit, women are taking more roles at home as well. We're not only working in our job, but we're also working at home. We're mothers, we're cookers, we're cleaners, we're everything. And men don't do that. So we have to also start at home. We have to be equal at home as well. The moment that you're equal at home and, and a chore or a job is just a job. It's not defined by a man or a woman, right? And that's when you can, you can see that outside as well. And that's what I do with my kids. It is just a chore. It's not a man or a woman's job. Yeah. So if I don't have that equality in my house, I cannot seek that outside as well. So those are, so those are some of the things that we do need to change and some of the things that we seek and we need to seek yeah. out as well. That's so so important because I, I like that you tracked it back to your kids because it comes back down to when we were younger and what values has been still instilled within us and how we see ourselves and how we let others define us because it comes back to that self-worth piece like if we don't believe we're good enough if we don't think we're good enough to go after that job or to say something in that meeting or to correct someone or to say hey I was saying that and you just walked all over me and said the same thing I was saying if we don't have that self-worth piece it can really destroy us in so many ways. It can take away so many opportunities. And that's something I'm really passionate about. And especially with women and young girls that we have to instill that within our children from a young age, both boys and girls. And we've got to teach girls how to stand up for themselves, how to have that self-worth. And we've got to teach boys how to treat women and girls as they grow up as well. Um, so that's a really, really important piece. I do want to track back to your to your personal life, though, because we, you know, like we said in the beginning, everyone has a story and uh, and you have some stories that I would love for you to share with the audience, because, um, you know, this is this is the reason why and what it what motivates you. So tell me more about your personal experiences with death. Oh, <laughs> oh, uh, there are just so many. So the um, I'll, I'll go back from when I was here in the U.S. So uh, 
thus far, I've survived two, two deaths. Uh, when I was in New York, I was studying and I was working. Um, and uh, we lived in this building that was the elevator would break down all the time. So one time I was coming from work, it was about six in the afternoon. And it was freezing cold as New York is. And the elevator stopped. So then we we were stuck there. It was about four of us, me and my cousin. So we, st we were stuck there and they had to open the elevator. And um, it was... They were, they were taking us, they were taking the girls out first and they were taking us out and were taking us out. And we were truly holding on for our lives. The reason being is that because when an elevator opened, when you open the doors, right, the elevator tends to just drop down. So um, they, took, uh, they took my cousin out and she was just, she was quite, quite terrified. And then they took me out and the thing just shifts one floor down you could have just wow. been cut in the middle right there and it, it just it just so shocking so that was uh that was a reason number one i wanted to leave new york i love new york by the way i truly love new york it just um i i had a hard time with it uh the yeah. other one is that me and my sister it was it was like 30 degrees at night and we were cold we were truly cold so we had turned on the gas oven and we had left it on and we also had opened the window a little bit so it wouldn't get so dry inside and but the window the air coming in had turned it off and the gas had put us in a very very deep sleep so it was about 2 30 in the morning it was november very cool november 20 degrees outside um, in celsius i don't know it's maybe one celsius but um we uh we had firefighters uh break down our door completely out and then I woke up around three o'clock me and my sister woke up around 3 a.m with uh with um, uh, oxygen masks in our mouth because uh, they said if it was like maybe a few minutes later we would have completely died with um, wow. yeah we would have died because yeah. of the gas so yeah that's you you are really like walking walking this path of life like knowing like you're giving it all and everything all at once now um so that's that's phenomenal. Um, I think you know those experiences, um, they really shock you, right? Um, what what did what did it do for you? How did it change whatever you were doing before? How did it change your attitude? Well, you appreciate life a lot more, <laughs> right? Um, yes. Almost almost dying uh, within three months apart, twice. You kind of appreciate your life more, and you want to give it your all. And um, knowing that I've had the privilege to, to move here and to study and to, to think that I almost died in Albania as well, um, um, a lot of things happened there as well. It was just, it just been pretty dramatic overall, the first 20 years of my life. Uh, we had civil wars, we had the first civil war, and then I didn't go to school for three months, then we had the second civil war, and again, school stopped, and there was bullets flying everywhere, and oh, it was very dramatic. A lot of people died. A lot of people died because sure, they How tried to How old were you? Um, the you first time, time? Yeah, I was 12 the first time, and the second time I was 16. And so what goes through your mind when you're dealing with that? Obviously, your parents are there trying to protect you, trying to keep you safe, and there's only so much they can do in an environment like that. So what what goes through your mind as a 12-year-old child? Um, when I was 12, I thought that we, our life didn't matter. Like, why, why would the world treat us like this? Like, why wouldn't they not want us? Because yeah. a lot of people try to escape and they sank the, the boats. They sank us. They sank 800, 900 people, 1,100 people. I said, why wouldn't the world not want us? Like, what have we done to the world? And we are known, Albanians are known very hospital people, very, you know, very warming and welcoming people. 
Um, and the second time I said, oh, this is it, right? I mean, we were sleeping on the floors for three months and there was bullets everywhere. There was bullets everywhere. And I said, why is the world doing this, right? Even though we were trying to, it was the spring upbringing, right? Like it was the wall of Berlin in 89. So it was like all around Europe, like there was this change happening and we wanted to leave and we couldn't leave. We wanted to be safe. My parents wanted us to be safe and we couldn't, we couldn't go anywhere. So we were just, and they were, Another thing is that a lot of my friends got sold to prostitution, a lot of them. And that was very hard for me. Going back to school and not seeing your friends or not seeing your neighbors, that was very, very hard for me. And, and you hear, you hear the stories, you hear everything that's happening. And my parents really, really tried to protect us. And, um, yeah. and I think they did very well. And that's why when I finished high school, they're like, there's no more this country can give you. You need to go out there and, and, and really see who you can be because there's just so much more deserving than this. Yeah. And it's, it was a big sacrifice for them. Imagine like as a parent to let your kids go to a whole new country, big, big sacrifice for them. I think um, that, that part, that's really, really hard um, what you've experienced. And to see the woman that I see now and I, to hear you speak, it's just, it's so inspiring, but it's also so humbling because you've been through so much and you still, wake up every day, you're still showing up every day and you're still doing what you're doing to make a difference in this world. And that is how the world changes. That is how we change things. That's, that's, how, we, that's how we can make things better in the world. So, um, so I appreciate you sharing with us today. I thank you for, for allowing us into the space to know you deeper. Um, and, um, and thank you for the work that you are doing. And we are glad to have you on the podcast and we will have you on again. Um, at whenever stage you want to get back on here when things are up and ready and everything's rocking and rolling we'll definitely have you on here so I appreciate you for being here so thank you so much Inva. Oh thank you so much and I appreciate again thank you for this platform for a voice for us thank you. You're welcome.